This is the Freestyle Way. All right, welcome back, my friends, to episode two of the Freestyle Way. And in today's episode, I sit down with my friend Nate Helming. Nate Helming is someone I met through San Francisco CrossFit. We bonded over dancing and not any kind of dancing, my friends, break dancing. We became two 30-year-old B-boys getting down as much as we could and guided by our teacher, B-Boy Milestone, uh, who uh, just got us to understand movement and musicality from a whole new perspective. And as silly as it sounds, it took our level of understanding of movement and coaching to a whole new one. And we actually started translating what we used in breaking and b-boying into the seminars that we were teaching around the world. And this is something that eventually led Nate to uh, start running his own seminars and eventually founding the Run Experience alongside his co-founder, Craig Dos Santos. So in this episode, we sit down, we talk about where Nate came from and how he got to the point of founding the Run Experience and what they're doing with the Run Experience and how this is affecting people around the whole world on how they think about running, how they train for running, and how running is more than uh, just uh, putting on some shoes and going after it. It is a lifestyle, and there's something very unique there to say. And uh, we had a great conversation. We know each other very well, so uh, it's fun. It's lighthearted, and I really hope you get something special out of it. So uh, listen in. Stay tuned. Here it is, Nate Helming, in episode two of the Freestyle Way. 170,000 subscribers on YouTube. Millions of views, probably. I know. It's crazy. It's a lot. It's yeah. insane. It's insane. And uh, the thing I wanted to touch on, because I did some research, was uh, a quote by your wife. Okay. Yeah. Do you want? Do you want me to read it? I you? would love to hear what my <laughs> wife has to say. All right. This is the quote. I find him very brave and stupid at the same time. <laughs> Aaron C. Moody. Oh my goodness. That's funny. Uh, I that could probably go in a few different directions. Uh, one direction it could go is he's very brave on work stuff. And he's stupid at home stuff with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought that was very interesting. I know. Um, she's funny, man, my wife. Uh, I don't know. I think that... I think maybe the stupid thing is that, for better or worse, like I will get a little like focused in one track, which has its upsides, but then it has its downsides in what my wife does is when I get too far down one rabbit hole, she like pulls me back to the center, probably by calling me stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But it doesn't matter. I could be like, like there are days where she's gone out to like, like we're out of our normal rhythm. Like she's like working late or meeting friends and I will just like keep plugging away and I'll, she'll come home a couple hours later and just like the wires are touching in my brain and I'm just like twitching Whereas normally what I'm used to is that she will like, you're done now. Like you have to stop working now because mm-hmm. she has to turn to it off home. for you. 
Kind of. Yeah. I feel like if I'm left to my own devices, I will just keep going. So I think when she says I'm stupid, it's like I need my limits. Well, I think this is a great intro. Um, for those who are listening, I'm seeing with Nate Helming. Uh, most people call you Nate Helming. I like to call you Nathan. My, it's my Christian name right there. <laughs> That's right. Uh, who, who else calls you Nathan uh, besides myself? Uh, let's see here. My uh, mother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If she calls me by my full name, I'm still I'm in trouble. Okay. Nathan Anthony Helming. And uh, my wife. And... Honestly, I don't know too many others. Basically, my mother, my mother, my wife, and you. Yes, this is awesome. Um, so, and I think this this quote was very funny because uh, I feel like you and Aaron, your wife, are very different. But at the same time, you guys have such a great relationship. And what I'm inspired by, uh, just having known you guys now for eight years... That's crazy. Yeah, I was I was looking that up, and it's yeah. been eight years. Um, is that you guys have really found uh, a balance where you have common goals, uh, like your house uh, that you guys bought together, and the way that you yeah. worked on it, and making it a home, and you support each other, and you just have something very uh, great going. And I'm inspired by that. Oh, thank you. And what I've seen is that you don't just have it with Aaron, but you have it with everyone you work with, including Craig Two Saints. <laughs> Two Saints. <laughs> Dos Santos, who is your business partner with is. the Run Experience, which is something I want to talk about today. Yeah. I want to talk about how how did you get to where you are today and where did this all start? And is the philosophy behind it you being brave, courageous? And uh, stupid. And stupid at the same time <laughs> and just living in that fine balance. Yeah. Is there truth to that? I I think that anytime you start something that's new and there's a little risk involved, um, you could say there's a little bit stupid in terms of you're going into the unknown. I also believe that you can highly minimize the amount of stupid you're exposed to. And I think one of the things we've done a good job of is is that I mean we started the run experience you know quote unquote officially back in 2014 um, he and I of course if you were to ask him the same question like his perspective and stories can be different you know my perspective and story was that this was kind of the natural extension of the work that I was doing before at San Francisco CrossFit um, when I was starting to travel with you I remember one fourth of July, you're like, dude, you just need to film. And I was writing a lot of blogs, but I hadn't stepped in front of the video camera. And I remember I talked to our, you know, coach Diane Fu, who's also at Samson CrossFit. Um, and I was texting her, I was like, can you help me film a video on Thursday? And I was texting her on Tuesday and she said, sure. And as soon as I made that appointment with her, I was like nervous, you know? So just, I think about some of those things like, man, I was nervous to stand in front of my friend holding up my iPhone when no one's around and no one cares, you know, and, and to kind of build up from there to do more regular video, building up my own private practice to then being like, Hey, I think there's a play to have a bigger impact there. Um, I think I was really inspired by what I saw you doing with gymnastics squad and freestyle connection at the gym, what Diane was doing, what Kelly Starrett was doing, the owner of San Francisco CrossFit in terms of starting Mobility Wad and launching books. And I just 
saw that in my previous areas of fitness, I would see, you know, trainers that were 20 years older than me and, you know, Hey, tell all the power to everyone who's out there doing what they love to do. But for me, I was like, that's not my path. I'm not excited to go down that way. But when I saw what was happening at San Francisco CrossFit, there was something about this that was scratching an itch. And I was like, this is really interesting. And I think when Craig originally approached me after being a member at the gym, a student would be like, hey, do you want to try putting something out there? And I was like, yes, like I'm really excited to try this. But of course, we didn't know necessarily where it was going to go. Right. So if we were to fast forward to the present day, you are co-founder of The Run Experience. Yeah. Uh, do you have a official role there? You know, in terms of like CEO, COO, things, everyone loves to have a title. Things like that. <laughs> uh, the way we have it split is that Craig, my co-founder, is the CEO. He handles a lot more of our um, business relationships, business development, things like that. And then I'm more of a CEO role where I am in charge of our programs, our operations, making sure all of our people are good. I spend a lot of time with our team of 12, like on the phone each week, making sure everything is running smoothly mm-hmm. or as smoothly as can be. Yeah. So there's production distribution. You run the logistics. Mm-hmm. You also manage the team to a certain degree. And then you have Craig who does some of, uh, there's probably overlap, yeah. but he also does a lot of the business. And it's, and it's a small team, like not to make it a little official, like we both get our hands dirty on whatever needs to, to get done. You know, early on, it was just Craig and myself, so we would do all the filming and all the editing ourselves. And in fact, my uh, computer, you'll remember this, my laptop at the time was so slow that we filmed our first program, the 30 Day Challenge. And I had to upload all of the clips to my iPhone so that I could edit them in the iMovie app because my computer was so slow, it couldn't edit anything and we couldn't afford an editor or or anything else outside. So I did the tally of the videos in the 30 day challenge and I think there's something like 110. 110 videos that you've done editing on your iPhone yeah, on iMovie. And maybe that was the stupid thing. Free software. Thing. Free software. <laughs> well, that's a stupid thing, but this this is the essence of what I want to talk about, which yeah. is this is all about doing it your way, which is sure. the essence of the freestyle way. It's There is no formula that is guaranteed to work. No. And at the end of the day, it comes down to how you do things. And if you're able to see the opportunities and implement yeah. your uh, talents and skills and continue to evaluate yourself, eventually you grow to a point where you go from editing on your iPhone to now having, I mean, how many views do you guys have on uh, YouTube at this moment? It's It's got to be around 10 million, um, I think. Right now we get on average, I would probably say 54. We get fifty-five to sixty thousand views every two days mm-hmm. on the metric. Yeah, so it's about thirty thousand views a day. 
yeah. on all of our videos. And to put that into perspective, that's something that started four years ago. Yeah. You editing on your iPhone to now having a YouTube channel that is growing, but not just that, having all these online programs that you yeah. offer. And for those that don't know, the Run Experience, as you can imagine, is a community of runners where you guys offer uh, programs. programs, training services that uh, help them run better, more efficiently, effectively, pain-free, yeah. strength and conditioning. The things, you know, what's interesting, the things that we started first with were some of the programs. And I found that when I was like the individual coach running my social media, it's like, what am I trying to do with this? You know, I'm trying to connect with people. I'm trying to grow my channel, but really to what purpose? And it was something that I kind of struggled with because it's like, like my stuff, like more of my stuff, like talk to me. That's cool. And I've met some fantastic people through those channels, like my relationship with uh, Logan Gelbrick, for example, and Deuce Jim, you know, that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Instagram. And some of those posts that we did together and, you know, he just shared that photo with you and I via text just a, a week ago, um, how I hosted my first running seminar there and he had really just opened up his gym and it's really exciting to see where he is and, you know, where we are now. Um, but we didn't have a big following in the beginning. Um, the other things I didn't have that we're supposed to have is this idea that we needed to grow quickly. We didn't do that and uh, we didn't have money. You know, so we <laughs> <laughs> what a winning combination. <laughs> what a winning combination. It was just Craig and I, and neither of us were like marketing experts, you know, so we really had to learn that. So I feel like the last couple of years has been like school, has been like learning how to do all this. And I think what was helpful for me from a mindset standpoint is like, well, let's build something first that we're excited about, and then let's figure out how to talk to runners and get them in. And that was that initial 30 day challenge. And then when we started our YouTube channel, it wasn't for its own sake. It was to eventually drive traffic into these programs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you you run a company that doesn't just support you and Craig, but also a team of 12 people. Mm-hmm. That takes a fair amount of uh, time, effort, and money to do. Yeah. So I would say that you've come a long way. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's incredible. I got a few more gray hairs in the beard. Yes, yeah. you do, but they look great. They <laughs> I'm look going great. for the salt and pepper look. I like it. Um, I think you look young and you look uh, as beautiful as ever. Oh. Nathan Helming. Stop. Stop it. Um, <laughs> well, the, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I feel like anyone looking in from the outside mm. would say that TRE is off to the races, no pun intended, uh, and killing it. But you are still working your ass off. Craig is working his ass off. You're constantly trying to innovate. And it it sounds like the work is not done. No. The work is never done. It's never done. It's never done. And, And I think this is something that I think is refreshing for people to hear is that even though you may see... Uh, something as successful from the outside just because it looks successful doesn't mean that it's glamorous or uh, easy or uh, even enjoyable at times no as we as actually we record this right now my poor co-founder craig is in a huge tech hole working on uh transferring our back-end system from 
you know, one CRM program to something else. And it's something we're excited about. It's going to be a lot better for us, but it's just pretty miserable right now. There's tons of little bugs that are up. And of course, it would be way easier to transfer if we didn't have anyone in our programs or our system. But right now, we're like a major highway and we're trying to do construction on the highway, like closing lanes at a time and directing traffic around. And so he's doing that right now, which is which is rough. Yeah. So it it changes. You know, I think early on when we started uh, the idea of looking at other people or seeing these like somewhat arbitrary goals, like, oh, when I get to this level, like everything's good. We'll be able to coast. When we start making this much money every month, we've got it made. And what I've realized is that to continue to iterate your company changes and your systems change and the things that you developed earlier that worked. And this is a, you could be a system of one person and the way that you worked with people, say if you're a trainer or coach and you had five clients versus when you have 20, like you might not be able to want to take cash and personal checks. Like you might need to take credit card or Venmo. And then after a while, like your, your accountant might not like that. And you might need to go to QuickBooks. Like there's, there's something that we found like every six months we break the previous system and we have to iterate or, or develop what the next one is. So I found that we have moments of like respite and then moments where we have to really hustle and grind and we're in the the hustle and grind motion right so, now. So at this moment, you're like, uh, 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 oh, going, dude, going up. I am loving this right now. It's like I have. You guys can't see this, but I have these like deviled eggs. I've got some infused water. I'm like relaxed. It is quiet. I'm not sitting on my computer screen. I'm just you're just in here talking with an old friend. Yeah, sorry, Craig. <laughs> Keep working over there. <laughs> I didn't invite Craig because of that. Um, well, talking about change and ever-changing uh, moments in life, I feel like those are the moments that define you. And I wanted to show you some pictures, okay, in no particular order okay. that I have here I pulled up on my phone. Here's here's the first picture. Oh, yeah. This is you standing on a podium. That's right, mountain biking. That was the Tama Rancho Dirt Classic in Marin. That was my last mountain biking race I ever did. How many years ago was this? Uh, that was in 2012. So in 2012, this yeah. was six years ago. Yeah. And that was the last mountain bike uh, race you did. And I and, won that sucker. And you won it. Yeah, you're standing on so the top excited. of the podium. And you're wearing a Helming Athletics jersey. That's right. Your last name, Athletics. Yeah. What is that? So when I was working as a coach early on, my whole goal was just to fund my athletic habits. I wanted to be a triathlete. I wanted to race professionally or see if I could. And I got into coaching for that very reason. So I wasn't necessarily inspired. Like this wasn't, you know, this is, I joke, the accidental career for me. I thought I was going to get to 30 and, you know, find my quote unquote real job. But then of course I've, I've stayed in it. And when I started to think about staying in it was when I formed Helming Athletics because it was a way of me taking myself and my business a little bit more seriously as opposed to just this, you know, thing. It's like, oh, I had this little community of athletes around me and it was fun to um, create something. Yeah. And this was when you and I met as coaches at San Francisco CrossFit. That's right. And uh, you started this uh, little entity, which is a DBA doing business as Helmet Athletics. 
which I thought was wonderful, and and it's exciting to see that it's it's evolved now into yeah. this company that is TRE. I have another picture for you. Let's you ready for it? Okay, I'm ready. Here we go. Oh man. <laughs> That is right. That is from one of our Friday B-Boy sessions with um, Mr. Miles Stone. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So this is Nate. He is... I'm all uh, funked up right now. He's funked up. He's <laughs> dancing. We just had B-Boy Wicket on, on the podcast. Oh. Uh, you're wearing a, a, a beanie that's for head spins. <laughs> And you're wearing all for show, people. High, I could not headspin. Dude, yet. you're wearing some high tops. I'm wearing Reebok high tops. Yeah, in a tank top from Thailand. From Thailand. Oh my and god! And this this was taken in the basement of at Acro Sports. Yeah, where we would go and break dance every Friday. Every Friday. And this was when you and I were battling each other. We were battling. Nothing. Nothing like seeing two. You know. 30-something-year-old white dudes dancing in front of each other <laughs> at, like, 10 a.m. on a Friday morning. Yeah, and and the reason I thought this was, was so cool, this picture, was because I feel like that was a meaningful time in our life. Um, I really was, yeah. Tell me about that time and about when <clears throat> I got you uh, breakdancing in the parking lot and then we started just getting down together. <laughs> I know. I just was so... I just saw what you were doing, and I just remember, like, I need to try that. And then so we would just do one or two things, and then the next week, you had another trick up your sleeve, and then I'm like, well, let me see that. And then I think by the third week, I was like, wait a minute, where where is this stuff coming from? And then you're like, oh, my friend Miles. I'm like, can I go? And one of the times, one of the things that I really appreciated about my earlier coaching was that... uh I had times where it was intense work, working with people one-on-one or delivering, delivering you know, coaching classes where there's a lot of high energy output. But then there'd be moments in the day where you could work out, train, have conversation, um, tinker with things. And you know, the, the, the ironic thing is like now I would say I'm quote-unquote too busy to do something like that again. But at the same time, there was so much value and what we did there, I think that it gave me, uh, it was just fun. I felt like my, all my, these brain cells that weren't connecting were connecting before and everything. Just like I would come out of those sessions feeling like I was only using my left brain and all of a sudden I'm using like my right brain in a different way and like different ideas would come out and start to flow. I think it gave me more confidence and stage presence because if you can dance someone in front of someone awkwardly, all of a sudden standing in front of and talking in front of a crowd is like not a big deal. Um, and I think it just gave us a rapport so that when we were traveling and coaching together, I felt more comfortable with you. And then when we were both comfortable, like we just got better stuff from that. Mm-hmm. How how has that time of your life influenced what you do today? So breakdancing specifically. I think that when I started doing the breakdancing thing, I was feeling a little stale in triathlon. And then I had jumped into mountain biking, which was fun. It's not as linear, but it's still a pretty linear sport as in do this and get this output. And so it was constantly that, like train more, hit this wattage so that you can get this wattage output for your race. And the one change in mountain biking is like, well, you have to be a good downhiller and descend. And if you can pull a wheelie, that's cool. Um, 
but this was such a non-linear thing and I hadn't really had exposure to that as an athlete. And so I just think that I was just ready for something so different and refreshing um, and fun. And I was just like, I had broken my hands and fingers a few times and my wrist like earlier. And so like handstands didn't ever feel good. And I wasn't really motivated to do them. It's like, I don't really care if I can walk on my hands, but this, I was very motivated to be upside down because I'm like, I like this. So it just, it gave me that like real big spark and gave me that experience of what it was like to be a different style athlete. I started listening to music differently. I mean, I can go on and on, Mm -hmm. but I think that perspective has stayed with me as I go back into running. And I think it helps when I talk to runners and the big picture of what it all is we're doing, uh, that that's still there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it influenced the way you dress, the way you talk, the way you move, uh, the way you coach, uh, from the technical aspects to the developmental aspects. I feel like it's, it was a, it was a very special time. Yeah. Um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit here now to this moment. Here's another picture. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. So this is Nate. At uh, the Reebok One Summit. Yeah, amongst a group of influencers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Reebok One Summit, uh, which is uh, was Reebok's uh, influencer, um, I would say, uh, initiative that they had. That's right. And you were invited to one of these, and this is you doing footwork around these people in front of this giant group of people yeah of strangers of people I've, i had met you know two or three days other than knowing them on instagram yeah so it's a cool picture tell me tell me though what was going through your mind uh during that time because i know this was a pivotal moment in your in your in your life uh, it, it was interesting and the way you were seeing social media and interacting with an audience it was so when i was at that Reebok summit, first of all, on the paper, it was amazing. We got flown out to Palm Springs, stayed in a hotel, did all these activities. They were trying to make us, you know, get, connect us with each other and, and give us tips on how to be better on social media. Uh, and then of course, you know, to talk about Reebok along the way. And, you know, everyone there had pretty significant followings from the 1 million plus to the couple hundred thousand you know, to the just a few thousand or whatever. And, and for me, I had a, I had a hard time there because I was from the following standpoint, if we're going to rank and rate ourselves that way, I was like one of the lowest and it felt strange. It was like, I like don't belong here. It was kind of how it was. And I was like, what am I doing? And that was I had a few things from that, but that was interesting, that photo, because they wanted to make some fun video, and they're like, oh, Nate, like, you break dance, like, you're going to break dance for us. <laughs> All which of a sudden, you're the expert. Little, which is a little weird, right? Because sometimes it's like, dance for me, clown, you know? And at first, I was a little nervous about it, but, you know, we did it, I started to warm up, and I just kind of got into it and had some fun, and then I think everyone looked at me a little different from that, and then I was just like, okay, I'm glad... I'm glad I got through that. And that was, that was like a little fun thing. But I, I left that seeing everyone, no matter how big their size was, struggle with the social media side. And I think what's interesting, and I've experienced this, was that when my identity was really tied into the social media brand I was putting out there, I would post. And even though I said I didn't care, I'm just like looking at the reaction of the video and how it's doing 
And it wasn't necessarily a reaction to the content of the video. It was a reaction of me. And I saw that when people got bigger, that didn't necessarily go away. It's almost like it got worse. And I just felt kind of troubled by this when I left that Reebok trip. And I was like, man, like they're pushing me to just grow my following and to do this and, you know, to be authentic. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And I realized a little while later with all the other work I was trying to do was like, you know, I think it might be time for me to take a break from this and put my energy into another bucket. Mm-hmm. Which is great because that segues into my next picture, Nathan <laughs> Helming. And this next picture picture is uh, around the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you were starting to explore, which is this picture right here. Oh, yes. I was... Look at all these photos. My goodness. This was for a company called Run TV, mm-hmm. and I was doing some live broadcasting for them on camera for some races. And that is me on the sand ladder of Baker Beach for the Escape from Alcatraz. So you were a commentator. I was. Yeah, and you were commentating live. I was. Had you ever done that before? No. So what business did you have commentating uh on a live race like this. How did you gain that experience or the cred for them to hire you to do that? I'm trying to remember. I think it was, I was starting to do video at that point, right? I was starting to do a lot of videos and that was an extension of the classes. The one thing that I, like when I look at myself versus other run coaches, for example, like like runners are, not across the board, but it's like, it's a sport that's really enjoyed alone. Like sometimes you do with like small groups or a buddy or two, you know, the races, every, if you're the, uh, one of the small percentage runners who's actually on a team somewhere, like most people do this kind of alone. It's like kind of an introverted sport. And I'm not just say you're a hundred percent introverted, but like you like that alone time. And what I found with coaches is that they're also introverted and analytical by and large, right? Unless you're one of the rare coaches that's actually in front of a group leading people, like you're on a keyboard, you're talking to people on phone and email. And for me, coaching at Sam's CrossFit, working with you, I was coaching, I don't know, 60 people a day, like in terms if I were to add up everything in front of people all the time. And that tapped into something where I just really liked the energy of being in front of people and seeing the reaction and talking and trying to tell a better story. That is something that I just really enjoyed. And, and I, when I got the invite there, there wasn't, I don't think there was that many people that had the background that I had that could speak on the running space. Cause everyone else was like, you know, the keyboard dude. Exactly. And I think this is the beauty of doing it your way where when you focus on, uh, becoming a part of your own process and doing the things that feel good to you, all of a sudden your abilities transcend what you're actually working on, your your specific craft. So as a coach, you were in front of people, you were also making video, yeah. which all of a sudden makes you almost like a reporter. Right. And that is a very uh, amazing thing to be able to experience because that transferability of skill is what I think uh, we can all have if we're willing to simply focus on our lane and get right. really good at our thing. Yeah. Which is what I think was happening at that time. 
I think I think it was. I think I was gravitating towards the the types of content I like to provide and how I like to like like interact with the larger community. Things that were both enjoyable for me and things where I felt like I had more of an impact. And I think the coaching and the teaching and the running beyond video, I'm not self-conscious about that at all. Like that doesn't bother me in any way because I almost feel like it's not about me. I am just like the messenger of this thing. And I, I feel that way about our current YouTube channel. So if if I get, you know, you get enough people watching your stuff and you're going to have people disagree with you or or give you the old thumbs down. And it it doesn't bother me personally the way it would if it was on my own channel. You know, so I'm just, I'm, I'm very happy with that. And I feel like if I had kept trying to do the other things because I felt like I was supposed to do them, I would just be hitting my head against the wall. Mm-hmm. So in other, in other words, it sounds like uh, you feel really good having now built this vehicle, this platform that you can actually belong to rather than you yourself being the vehicle. Yeah. I thought that for a long time we all had to be on social media in, in certain ways. And you can be on – I'm on a, a ton right now, but I just – a lot of my energy is focused on our our Facebook groups, for example, like working with people. I post in there and respond in there all the time. But I remember listening to this interview. He is an actor and comedian named Gerard uh, Gerard, Gerard Carmichael, um, and I think it was on uh, a Tim Ferriss podcast of all things. And I think Tim was asking him at the end, "It's like, hey, like, oh, where can we find you? Where can we connect?" He's like, "Oh, I'm not on anything." And I was like, huh. And he's like, yeah, it's, I don't want it. And it's a distraction and, uh, you know where to find me. And I just was like, oh, we don't have to be on this. It was, (laughs) it it was just such a funny thing. I just realized that I was doing this for so long and I was like, oh, maybe I don't have to. Um, and I just tried it just to see where it is. And I, I look, I still think it's very important to connect with your audience, your community, like that has to happen, but it just, you can you can determine how you want that to happen. It doesn't have to be dictated to you by what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can play the rules in different ways. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, which is, is, is something that I think is also good for people to hear uh, because I think uh, just going back to that picture of you breakdancing with all the influencers that belonged to Reebok at the time, uh, they were trying to teach you a certain way of doing things and maybe even trying to develop a message and a culture yeah. that was common, but it just didn't sit right with you. No. But once you went through this process, it seems like now you kind of found your footing and where yeah. you belong. Is that is that true? or That is true, yeah. I have one more picture for you. Oh, let's do it. This let's is fun. See, let's see if you remember this this picture. <clears throat> Oh yeah, that is up at Foundation up in Seattle and we are coaching the freestyle running seminar right there and I think people are in one of their 1k loops we made them do. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The reason I wanted to bring up this this picture is because uh the day before this seminar that we did up in Seattle, I had a major panic attack. Hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but I had a major panic attack in my car and I called you and I was like, I don't know if I can go to Seattle. I don't know if I can fly tonight to go to this thing. Oh man, I remember that. You picked me up. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. You picked me up and got me back into shape. You made sure I got on the plane. We flew together. We had a delicious dinner at Denny's that night. <laughs> Do you remember yeah, that? Right. We, we arrived super late. That's so funny. And then the next day we did the seminar. And this seminar, uh, I, don't, I don't think you get the messages from this seminar uh, often, yeah. but I get a lot of messages from this seminar. And the feedback that we got from that seminar was that that was nothing like they had ever experienced when it came to running. That's cool. It was really cool. And what I'm very proud of is seeing you with the run experience carry that essence all the way. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what it was that we did there, but I want to believe that we transcended the technicality and the the metric of time yeah. and technique and we started talking about movement from a more general perspective when it came to running. Uh, one of the things that uh, stood out for me was your talk about running when you're a child and playing tag. Right. How that's not something that you do as an adult. Yeah. And to be able to measure your performance by feel was uh, the take home. Yeah. And I think that's something that you've carried with you, and I'm, I'm just really proud of that. And I just want to say thank you because, first of all, I would have never made it to Seattle if it hadn't been for you that day. And never, to, never would have had that delicious Denny's dinner. Mm-hmm, exactly, that <laughs> delicious like dry sausage or whatever we had dinner. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that I just hold really close to my heart. And the reason I want to share this is because uh, you and I have both been in a space where when you're very tight with people that are very competitive, there can be friction. Right. And this friction uh, sometimes is you crossing the line and getting in trouble right. for using someone else's method or mm-hmm. philosophy, mm-hmm. Uh, which some listeners may be able to relate <laughs> to. And, and we don't have to bring up yeah, specific uh, cases or scenarios, but this happens. It does. Which in a not so smooth segue goes into challenges Mm. how how have you think about one of those times that you've crossed the line without knowing and you've been kind of slapped slapped on the hand yeah for doing something naughty 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 nathan i how have you dealt with that i think that the uh, one of the challenges especially of this nature really have to do with expectations because if you knowingly going into if you normally go into something where you know it's going to have a certain reaction and the reaction comes you're like i expected that it doesn't catch me off guard i think the particular challenges in this respect are when you get knocked off balance because you weren't expecting something and when you receive that challenge it changes your worldview a little bit of the 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 environment you work in, you know, and and the broader community of things. And you're like, oh, I guess, you know, not everything is all nice and lovey-dovey all the time. So I think for me, when I've experienced those types of situations, I first have a reaction of like, did I do something, and then there's a little reflection of things. And I think my first reaction is to try to like appease the other person. Mm -hmm. Like, no, no, it's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to overstep or anything. 
And then I think once that fades, and then I'm like, well, wait a minute, I didn't do anything. This actually isn't on me at all, you know? And that is where I get to a point where maybe I get a little bit of a harder edge, you know, for better or worse on the other person. It's like, no, this is on me, this is on you, and you made me feel this way, you know? How dare you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) As an English gentleman, how dare you, sir? Um, But then... You know, I think after a while, my final phase with it is I look at that other individual and I'm like, you know, this came from a particular place that actually doesn't have anything to do with me either. And it just was channeled this way. And we all do these things and let it go. So would you say that um, the way that you put out fires is first become uh, aware of what's really happening, evaluating yourself, evaluating the situation, and then trying to communicate? Yes. Yeah, and, and what do you think is um, is is the, the parts or pieces of these um, sometimes kind of explosive uh Reactions. What, what do you think it is that, that it gets people so scared sometimes when they see uh, you cross the line? Or I think there might be a misunderstood sense of encroachment. They're like, I'm tr- like in these situations, if there's a sense like we're literally we're using the word steal here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, they're stealing something. This is mine. They didn't ask for it. How dare they, you know... Uh, things of things of that nature um i think that's where it comes from and i think i just i we just i try not to have that perspective you know and i can relate to it more now than i could a while ago we have one of our one of our guys is going to be moving on to a new job and we're trying to be very happy for him to go but sometimes there's that little voice like who's he going to work for what does he know all this stuff and it's like well where does that go you know it it doesn't when Craig and I talk about this my co-founder all the time and we really say like look we're an open book there's nothing we did that was proprietary like I think one of the and I'm not saying this to pat ourselves on the back because like we're slow and we still mess it up and we're still messing it up but we're getting better is like Building a community online, it's like, go for it. Like, you're on day one. We're on four years plus whatever day. Like, you just, you have to go through the motions. And I don't think that can be stolen, you know? Like, I just, like, we could have other people. I expect that we'll inspire other runners and coaches to put videos up and to put out other training programs. And it could be the same stuff that we have but it's not the same because it's not us, you know? So it's, I'm not going to say that's going to be easy. I might have moments where I'm like, my competitiveness comes out and be like, what are they doing? But I just remember how I felt on the receiving end. And rather than push those people away, I'd rather figure out how to bring them in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I feel like this is something that I've worked on personally a lot, yeah. trying to figure out what does this mean? What is it that uh, agitates people and makes people nervous? How can I make people feel safe? How do we communicate that in the best way possible? And one of the conclusions that I've come to is that if we, for example, as coaches uh, set out to deliver uh, the goods through a program or uh, a training methodology, 
I feel like once people catch on to it to the point where they start creating their own businesses, I feel like that's where we made it. Yeah. What makes us scared is that all of a sudden, maybe now, uh, this means that we have to do two things. One, we have to be in competition yeah. with these people, meaning we need to level up. Yes. We need to get better. Yes. And the other thing is that uh, now we need to start looking at this uh, with a broader scope. Right. Which is hard. It is very hard. It's really hard. And, and this is challenging, but this is the work. Yeah. And, and I feel like this is where Erin, when she was saying, Nate, he's very brave, at the same time very stupid. I think our stupidity of not being scared of that, mm. mm-hmm. your stupidity in this case, <laughs> yeah, right. is what's allowing you to continue to grow. And I wonder where, where does that come from? Where does that fearlessness come from? I think that I never felt, um, you know, when I came out of college, you know, I moved to San Francisco. I had interviews lined up. I didn't have a job, you know, and then I didn't know anyone. I knew one person. She was a girl um, that I kind of moved out for. I'm now long story short, married to another one. (laughs) It's about out here. So things work out as they will. And I just, I always had that little itch for what felt like an adventure. I think I liked the, the edge of what felt unknown. I think that if I got into the camp where things were too familiar, it just didn't feel good. And I just always wanted to be, okay, what's, what's next? So I, it's a weird way. I don't know if that's the brave part. I think that's just like maybe a restlessness part. I think that, um, or curiosity, or curiosity. Maybe. Yeah. I think that, um, I'll have moments like at the end of the day where I will go a little negative or start to break down just cause I'm just so tired and, or I've been dealing with a problem that's not expected and, uh, I have a good support network and I think I've been able to tell myself early on, like, like I got this from endurance sports when you're like racing for six or eight or 10 hours, your emotions are an extension of your physiology. And for example, like if like hangry is that right? Like if you, if you have low blood sugar, um, you know, like you start to look at people and get annoyed and think certain ways in, in the middle of a mountain bike race or a triathlon or marathon, like that volume is turned up to 15, you know, as high as possible, And so I think I'd try to remember that and be like, look, like you're just in a little dark spot, get a good night's sleep and come back with fresh eyes tomorrow and, you know, you'll be okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but I just, that's how I think about it. Yeah, I think that's, that, that, that does answer the question. In my, in my research time leading up to this interview, Mm. um, the boo, as I call her, uh, your wife mentioned that you moved to Switzerland Mm, mm-hmm. For a while, and in college, uh, yeah, and you didn't live with students; you were living with an older lady I was, to yeah. get a full, like, deep dive into the culture, and uh, that may have been an influence on you. In addition to speaking a different language, oh yeah, French, which. I have heard that you felt you spoke so well that you thought no, <laughs> no one, no one knew, no one, no knew, one knew at the end. I had my little beret and my scarf on at the end of the semester and I would just ride around the bus and the train and, you know, 
just try to blend in as much as possible. That was very important to me at the time. It's yeah, really no one knew. No one knew. <laughs> in your head, and Nathan Helming's I had head. a giant American flag stamped on <laughs> my forehead, but no one knew. No one knew he was American. He was Swiss. <laughs> I think that mentality, in my opinion, mm. uh, must have uh, come from even further back, but yeah. maybe that was one of those experiences that became the inflection point. I think that year abroad, because I spent a semester living in Switzerland and then a semester in South Africa, was like, I was like one of the best things I ever did. And I just remember my sophomore year, I was asking people about their experiences going abroad before. And I was stuck whether I went for a semester or a year. And every person I talked to who went for a semester wished they stayed longer. I didn't speak to anyone who stayed for a whole year who wished they came back early. So I was like, there's my answer. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go for a year. And it just worked out that I ended up to two locations from the programs that I was excited about. But I came back and I was like, man, like I figured out how to live by myself, two different cultures. And granted, before this, like tight, close family. I grew up half an hour outside of Boston, went to school in Boston. So I wasn't that far away in college. Like I could go home for the night easily. This was my first time really being away, away. How old were you? I was 20, 20 or 21. So not, not super young, but you know, that was such an informative year. Yeah. I was like, oh man, if I can go out here and go to these countries and figure things out, you know, I think I'll be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I and think it, that gave me the confidence to come out here to San Francisco for sure. Yeah. Aaron was actually telling me that, that, uh, that probably gave you the confidence to come out here without a job and all of a sudden, uh, work at the, was it the AIDS prevention center? Yes. It was the center for AIDS prevention studies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got fired from that job. <laughs> yeah. And when, when you got fired, you went out and cried and how, how did you deal oh, with that? Oh man, I, went and cried in the metro so <laughs> if it was like if you were in the muni of february in 2007 and you saw um some guy in a button-up shirt bawling his eyes out you know that's probably me yeah and back then that must have been a very hard time for you when that happened i didn't feel good but now looking back uh, what do you see as uh, the present Nathan looking back at that young young Nathan and what would you tell that Nathan sitting there crying <laughs> well I think I there are a few reactions to that number one I realized that I was terrible at office politics because I came in and I was an insubordinate asshole if I can say that on our podcast um I was. I was, you know, to this one woman, I didn't like her. I decided that I wasn't going to be very good at hiding that. and So East Coast style. East Coast style, nice. exactly. And, and it was uh, me versus her in my head, which is a really dumb place to be when you are a couple months into a job. And you're not even trying to understand, like, okay, maybe you don't love your boss or this person, like – that's that's on like write it out figure it out you know what I mean like what I did was not the right way and I thought I was like how dare you do that I didn't know that that was even an option I wasn't afraid um in a bad way the other side of it was 
man, I'm really glad that happened because that got me on my present journey. Like, I don't know if I would have then gotten a sports basement. I don't know if I would have met Aaron, my wife. I don't know if I would have gotten into coaching. I don't know if I would have gotten into strength training. I don't know if I would have gotten into San Francisco CrossFit. I don't know if I would have met you. I don't know if I would have met Craig. I would have started the run experience. It's one of those like sliding door moments. Mm -hmm. Which kind of brings us full circle to the present day where you're running, uh, literally running the run experience and things are going pretty well. All in all, pretty well. What what do you want to see uh, people remember uh, about the run experience in you know, 10, 20 years from now and the impact that you made in this organization, this company? I think that I want the run experience to be known as a unconditionally positive and supportive place for runners on whatever journey it is they're on and that they're going to get the support that they need. And there's different types of support. Um, there's the emotional, um, side, but there's also the technical. And I think that with a lot of other running programs out there, maybe they had a pretty good emotional or community network, but their ability to help people technically was very limited, right? Because it's like people can't learn how to play golf from a book. It's hard. Like you need to swing the club. You need to watch someone sing the club. You need to have someone help you swing the club. And I feel like running is very much that way or just being an athlete in general. So I'd like to think that we've created an environment where that's starting to happen. Um, We have more and more college and high school coaches working with their kids in our programs, and um, a multiplier multiplier and we have parents having their kids you know do burpees and push-ups and squats with us and I just think one of the reasons why I originally built this was like I wish I had something like this when I was 15 because I feel like that would have really um, changed my athletic journey you know so it's fun to put something out there that maybe in 15 years 15 years from now there's 15 year olds now who are watching this who are going to be like man I'm really glad that was there that's amazing that's amazing I'm inspired by you oh thanks man I think it's awesome and I think what you are doing and what you've done and just witnessing the the whole company and yourself just unfold is is yeah it's just really inspiring and it's encouraging because I think for me and for anyone who is looking in, uh, we we look for role models and we mm. look for a reference and we wonder how and why and uh, where to get started. And, yeah. and in so many ways, you're providing that for yourself, for your partners, for your teammates and for the community and doing simple things like flying out to the Chicago Marathon like you guys are going to do very yeah. soon to support the people that follow your programming, that's just one of those uh, simple things that uh, you do and you guys do as a company that I think is 
is uh, just really encouraging and inspiring. And I, and I just want to congratulate you that, for that because uh, that encourages me to continue doing my thing from yeah. this podcast to uh, building my company and developing my team and crystallizing yeah. my values and principles. Uh, so that's awesome. I appreciate that, man. Any final words for those who are listening? Um, I think that if you're looking for like the big win is built on a succession of small ones. And I think circling back to the social media, the trap of the social media is that you see everyone celebrating big victories, but they don't show you how they got there. And if you're going out there just trying to post things to post, it's go build something. That is my challenge to you, right? Go away from that if you need to. Um, dial that down lower and put that energy in a place that, you know, gives you something that you can then share with whomever and be okay with that. Figure out the balance between, as Carl likes to say, what fills your cup, what makes you excited, but you know, roll up those sleeves, get to work. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. So like, uh, Tim Ferriss was asking the comedian, where, where, where shall people find you and follow you? <laughs> I am on Instagram at Nate Helming. If you want to come say hi, um, I, um, am mostly accessible through the run experience channels. So if you want to hang out and say hello personally, I, with Craig do our live show on our YouTube show on our YouTube channel every Thursday from noon to one Pacific standard time. You can watch the recording afterwards. You could jump in there and say, hi, we'll, we'll, we'll chat with you. And then of course, all of our videos on the YouTube channel, the run experience, you should subscribe. Um, check like, us out, like comment, share, share send do it to it your all. mom, your dad, your Everything. cousins. And like we have, Everything for beginner runners starting up to every injury prevention thing you might need for any, just search a body part. You'll find something, how to get ready for your first 5K to marathon, whatever. We really try to cover all the bases. Uh, And it's not just me. We've got a really great team of awesome coaches and contributors on our channel. It's awesome. Well, there you have it. Thank you, Nate. You're the man. Appreciate you being on. Thanks, dude. Boom. Done. Man, what a conversation. I I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Nate is someone who you guys can tell I admire very much and I hold very dear to my heart. And he's just someone who's a deep thinker and he's a person of integrity and the values and principles by which he operates uh, are a testament to the impact that he's making through the run experience and every relationship that he has. So I hope you felt like you uh, simply by being in proximity to Nate through this podcast got to experience that and maybe can reflect on your own values, your own principles and how you are navigating this life that you have right now and really trying to maximize your efforts to move the needle in the direction that you want to see it move. And 
if this is something that uh, resonated with you, uh, make sure that you hit Nate up. You can find him on Instagram at Nate Helming. Uh, you can also find him through the Run Experience on YouTube, especially. They have so much content. And if you go to their website, they have a ton of programs. If you're interested in getting started with running or you're an avid runner, uh, they got it all from rehab to prehab to uh, strength and conditioning. So that officially concludes episode two. Thanks for listening, guys. Make sure to share this. Uh, take a screenshot, share it on stories, tag us at the Freestyle Way and myself at Carl Powley. I will make sure to uh, see it and uh, repost it. If you have anything to say about the show, make sure you leave a review. Uh, that helps a ton to just get exposure. And uh, if there's someone you know that needs to hear this, make sure you forward it to them. Uh, that's what keeps this podcast alive. That's what's going to get these conversations to make the impact that they can potentially make. And it's what gets me fired up and out of bed every day and hopefully can do the same for you.